Hi, everyone. I'm Rosie Ward, and this is Show Up as a Leader. All right, we're going to try something a little different for our summer episodes. Rather than going on a summer vacation like many podcasts do, I decided to do a form of a mini book club. For each episode, I will be sharing some key summary items and my thoughts on a book I'm reading. I'll also provide some suggestions and questions I invite you to consider as you hopefully read the book. Additionally, we are planning for another Ask Me Anything episode at the end of summer, where I take your questions and share my thoughts, and that can be on anything related to these summer book episodes or anything in general. This time, you get to be part of the episode. Simply leave a message with your name and question for me at 877-373-6850, extension 1. And we'll also put this information in the show notes. So I'm super excited to have these summer episodes and this little detour, and let's get started. All right, for today's episode, I am going to cover some thoughts about a new book that just came out this year and was recently recommended to me that is so relevant and important for many of the clients I serve and coach, and I will say also for me personally, and it's called Boundary Boss by Terry Cole. Terry is a psychotherapist who teaches from a simple but pivotal premise Without healthy boundaries, you can't live an authentic and fulfilled life. And this is especially true today for women, although I will say I see it in men too, and men can also benefit from this book. That said, women in particular are often caught between this cultural conditioning towards being nice or afraid of offending others versus being perceived as mean or just a bitch, and really the need to protect their own well-being. So Terry presents Boundary Boss as this comprehensive guide for women, and yes, this works for men too, who want to master creating and maintaining healthy boundaries. It teaches a specific set of skills to help you stop abandoning yourself for the sake of others without all of the guilt and drama. And I will tell you that I feel like especially over the last year, the boundary discussion literally comes up if not once, more than once a day with the individuals that I work with, that I coach, the teams that I work with. And I think, you know, with people working at home um, who are still working at home, maybe some people never worked at home and, and homeschooling children and just everything, the lines got blurred even more over this past year. And people really seem to be struggling with boundaries. And why I was so drawn to Terry's book in the first place is not only are boundaries super, super important, But many of you might know that I uh, trained with Brene Brown and I'm one of her certified Dare to Lead facilitators. And one of the four skill sets of courage or of daring leadership is uh, braving trust. And the B in her braving acronym stands for boundaries. And it's being a very well-boundaried person, being really, really clear about what's okay and what's not okay. And being able to set those healthy boundaries is so pivotal to our well-being, to the quality of our relationships, to even our own trustworthiness. And what I love about this book is that she does reference Brene amongst others' work in here, but it goes really in-depth for 
this whole notion of boundaries. And so I will say if you are struggling with boundaries or wondering or know people who are, I highly, highly recommend. There's so many good nuggets. If you saw a copy of my book, it's highlighted and tabbed all over the place. I've already recommended it to a couple of my coaching clients. And so in the introduction, she starts right off by asking some pivotal questions to determine if you could benefit from becoming a boundary boss. So to help you decide if you keep listening to this specific episode or if this is for you, I'm going to pose them here because I think they're so relevant. And if you're like me, I found myself going, yep, as much work as I've done, I still could personally benefit from this as well. Do you ever say yes when you want to say no? Do you prioritize other people's needs or desires above your own? Do you often feel like you should be doing more in all areas of your life? Are you overly invested in the decisions, feelings, and outcomes of the people you love? Are you so resistant to asking for help that you end up doing most things yourself? And I will say that last one is ugh, my Achilles heel. I feel like I've gotten a lot better at saying no, although it's an ongoing thing. But man, I am the queen of hyper-independence. Nope, I got it. Nope, I got it. Nope, I got it. I was just working with a group this morning where we had a huge discussion around asking for help. And so Terry says, if any of these questions resonate, then you, my dear, are one of my over-functioning, over-giving, totally exhausted sisters. So or brothers, if you're listening to this and you are not, uh, you don't identify yourself as a female. And she really says that healthy, robust personal boundaries are our key to living a fulfilled, empowered, and self-directed life. And I wholeheartedly agree. So this whole premise of boundary boss, and this is how Terry defines them. She says that a boundary boss is a woman, or again, keep in mind, this also works for, for men, but who has a deep understanding of themselves, including how your dysfunctional boundary patterns came to be and how they might be holding you back in the here and now. A boundary boss knows who identify and transform any behavioral block standing between you and your true heart-centered desires and fulfillment, speaks truthfully knowing that is the only way to create the life you want and deserve, and is committed to your own growth starting from exactly where you are right now. So I read that and I was like, dang, yeah, I want to be a boundary boss. Like I, I feel like I've made a lot of progress and there's still work I can do. And I have so many clients, male and female and everything in between that would benefit from becoming a boundary boss. I have this conversation daily, as I said. And so I'm not going to obviously go through the whole book, but there's so many good nuggets, even if you don't read the book, which I hope you go out and get it. Uh, that I think you can benefit from. So one of the things I really appreciate about Terry's approach is that she starts from the inside out. And she talks about examining our inner narrative and our unconscious beliefs, what she calls our basement. Our basement is what stores our beliefs and experiences that we've tucked away and consciously forgotten about. The problem is, is that they're, they're collecting dust, right? They're not benign. They shape our lives in ways that we're not even aware of. And one of the ways that we know that they've surfaced or are at play is when our emotions and reactions become really supercharged and they far 
exceed the moment. In other words, they're way out of proportion to the actual situation. So let's say that, you know, something, I don't know, you spill something on the floor and all of a sudden you just get really emotionally upset or really pissed off. Like it's, it's a spill on the floor. Like it didn't ruin the carpet or the floor. It's not a big deal, but you're having this massive reaction to it. Or someone gives you some feedback that isn't even that terrible and you just go into this emotional spiral or you get defensive or whatever it might be. So when you have this reaction that just seems really out of proportion, it's a sign that hmm, something else might be at play here. And, and I don't think that we look at that um, enough. And so really starting to be aware of our basement is super, super critical because these filters that we unconsciously have on reality absolutely get in our way of having the impact we desire and making progress on goals that are meaningful to us. I am certified as an immunity to change coach, and I take people through this immunity to change or ITC process, and I see this all the time. We have these filters that we don't even realize that are unconscious, that stemmed in childhood, and they get in our way. They hijack us and take over as adults. And until we become aware of them and then do the work to kind of rewrite those narratives and change those filters... We can't expect to have different results. It it doesn't work. So with that as background, the book is broken down into two parts. The first part of the book is really walking you through stories and exercises and nuggets to unearth what Terry calls our boundary blueprint. This is where we gather information and start to take an honest inventory of all the areas of our life to reveal what might be contributing to our boundary struggles. And then she moves into helping us become more fluent in the language of boundaries and taking small steps informed by that newfound awareness from our boundary blueprint. This is where we start to create our unique boundary strategy. And she's really clear to say there isn't a one-size-fits-all approach, but she gives you a blueprint to help you create one that works for you. And then she also um, covers a step-by-step process for developing your proactive boundary plans. So how are you going to proactively, you know, kind of set yourself up for success as well as kind of in those moments, how do you deal with people who she calls boundary destroyers? So I'm telling you, she covers kind of like the whole gamut as it relates to boundaries. So here's what I really appreciate about everything in this book. And I see it complementing and enhancing the work that I do. It all comes down to the fact that most of the crap that keeps us stuck and playing safe and small in adulthood, like it or not, stems from our inner child. And our inner child is that part of us that, for whatever reason, did not get our needs met in childhood. So we could have had a fairly happy childhood or a very traumatic childhood, but there's some part of us that didn't get our needs met. And then our responses to present-day situations are actually driven by, say, that five-year-old version of ourself, right? That maybe didn't get the attention when we wanted it or was yelled at and we suddenly created this narrative that we weren't lovable or we weren't good enough or we were ignored because something else was going on and our five-year-old self doesn't know how to process that. So all of a sudden we, you know, create these narratives for ourselves. 
And I was literally saying this to a group this morning. Would you let a five-year-old version of yourself make a major life decision for you? Or would you let your five-year-old self drive your car? Or would you let your five-year-old self decide your next steps? Probably not. So when we're having that emotional hijackness that exceeds the moment, when our inner child is getting triggered and that crap is coming up, we have to recognize that that's the child version of ourself. That's not the adult version of ourself. You know, I remember years ago when I was first introduced to Immunity to Change coaching, uh, we were looking at kind of where I got triggered. And I grew up in a household where there was a lot of yelling. And so yelling and um, was a huge trigger for me. It brought me back to this, you know, five-year-old self or eight-year-old self that wanted to just like be good and cower in the corner. And I equated yelling with I wasn't good enough. And again, it's narrative I created for myself. It's not that someone was specifically saying that to me. And what was interesting is my coach at the time gave me an assignment because she realized how much of a trigger it was that I needed to write a letter to my five-year-old self or write a letter to my seven-year-old self, kind of like what I know now and, hey, you're going to be okay or whatnot. And then I created this practice that sounds really goofy, but like when I was in a moment where someone was yelling and they weren't even yelling at me, like they could have been yelling at the, the TV because it was a sports game or, you know, yelling in traffic. Like it literally was not directed at me, had nothing to do with me, but I would find myself just getting super triggered that I would have this little mantra and I would just say, it's okay, five-year-old Rosie, you're okay. Or you're an adult now, or, or, you know, just to really calm that version. And I think until we realize that it takes over and we forget that that's the child version of ourself. That's not the hopefully more aware, uh, wiser adult version of ourself. And here's the thing, without being aware of that, like this hijack happens all of the time. And what happens is then these adaptive strategies that we relied on in our early formative years end up becoming maladaptive in adulthood that don't serve us well. So, you know, I got, there was a lot of yelling in my home or I got, you know, yelled at or whatnot. And so I created these adaptive strategies of, okay, well, I'm just going to be really good and I'm not going to rock the boat and I'm going to do, go above and beyond to be helper or be a pleaser or to overachieve so that I would get love and praise, Right. So those adaptive strategies I learned then, um, if you've listened to any of my previous stuff, like served me well to a point, like allowed me to be successful. But then in adulthood, they become maladaptive because I end up burning out, right, kind of overcompensating, maybe not speaking up, all of this type of stuff. And so Terry calls this a repeating boundary pattern where present day dysfunction really mirrors a painful past experience. And we, we do an exercise like this in Immunity to Change where I ask people to write the biography of their big assumption, where they pick a handful of moments in their first 15, 16 years of their life that were scary or confusing or unsettling or upsetting, and they kind of walk through what happened, what do they remember thinking at the time, like what's that story or narrative they told themselves, what do they remember feeling, and then we kind of get to what lessons did you learn or what conclusions did you draw, and you start to see things like if I'm not in control, bad things happen, or I need to perform and achieve because that's the only thing that's valued in my house, or, you know, um, I'm not good enough, or um, I'm not going to stick myself out there again because I'll be rejected and I don't belong. You start to see where this narrative, and it could be from your parents, it could be from peer groups. Um, so if you think about those early years of our life, it's all about love, acceptance, and belonging. So anything that says to the contrary, we start to create a self-protective mechanism around it. Or, 
another way to think about it is maybe just like I've coached so many very successful people that their household was all about grades and all about performance and like nothing else mattered. And it was just kind of like an unwritten rule. Like you better get all A's, you better get a hundred percent, you better be perfect, achieve, perform, achieve, perform, don't goof off. And, and it really has led to them being disconnected from people, uh, putting efficiency and productivity over relationships and then they're sad and they're lonely and whatnot. So again, it, it could just be the f- uh, familial norms that we have. There's all of these things that shape us. But the point is that to understand it is is huge. So the point of going back to these childhood experiences is not about condemning anybody. And it's also not intentionally to put anybody back in shame or anything. It's really about understanding. It's about uh, separating now from then and recognizing that we're not the same person, especially when it relates to our parents. Um, I love this because at one point in the book, Terry talks about, um, um, she gives an example. Like she says, for example, you might have a parent who got sober 10 years ago. Yay, parent. The instinct may be to look at their accomplishment and celebrate that while pushing aside your lived experience as a helpless child of an alcoholic. She says, but you know who doesn't give a shit about that 10-year-old AA chip? 12-year-old you who might have found them sleeping in the still running car in the driveway at 5 a.m. and felt like the well-being of your entire family now rested on your child's shoulders. That kid needs our compassion and care, right? So you can look at it. doesn't It doesn't discount that we've grown and people have done work, but that version of ourselves doesn't care, right? And that version of ourself needs needs some healing, needs needs some attention. Here's why I share all this is I don't care how much self-work or therapy you may or may not have done. It is human for this inner child to take over, even without us realizing it. I remember when I was doing this exercise with my immunity to change coach, I was able to whip out my biography in five minutes because I had done exercise like that over and over I remember watching my colleagues, uh, the leadership team was doing it at the time and they came out of her office and I was watching them. They're crying and they had Kleenexes and how emotional it was. And I had no emotion left because I had dealt with this in therapy. I had thought I had processed it. I walked in there and I was pissed off and I said, I've dealt with this stuff. Why the hell is this still here? I want it gone. Why is this narrative still here? Right? So again, it's not about how much work you haven't, haven't done on yourself. This inner child takes over. And I see it every single day in the work that I do. Um, And Terry does say something that is just so important. She also says that we need to remember that our past behavior is not a reflection of who we are. It's just what we knew at the time. So think about that, right? We, We do what we know at the time. And as we learn and as we grow, we are able to evolve. And so this isn't about judgment. It's just about saying, okay, that's how that person reacted or, or whatever's going on. So she has a whole list of questions to also help you look at how do you relate to boundaries? And I'm not going to go through all of them, but she, she, she relates, she describes some ones that are common with boundary issues and see if you see yourself in any of these. Cause I saw myself in a few of these. Again, do you ever say yes to requests, even though your gut is saying no, thanks, um, you know, uh, sounds great. Can't wait. Whatever. Like you're totally not in alignment. Again, I will say I'm ongoing, getting better at this. Or, you know, if someone sends you, I get this, uh, a lot, someone will send me a text to say, I just sent you an email. And I'm like, yeah, it's evening or it's the weekend. I'm with my family. I'll get to it tomorrow. Like I'm not going to jump on something because you had a thought on this moment, 
But I used to be, oh, okay, I need to get back right away. And it's like, no, like I, I don't need to do that. Uh, do you inconvenience yourself for other people? Um, like, you know, yeah, sure, I'll take your kid there. Sure, I'll watch this for you or whatever, even though you're just like, I really don't have the bandwidth or the energy for it. Um, or, you know, do you engage in passive aggressive expressions of anger instead of having an authentic, real conversation with people? Um, or again, are you so self-sufficient that you do everything yourself, which is one that uh, I know a lot of people I work with have, and I constantly am kind of trying to get over. So I think when I was reading this, I, I found myself going, yeah, I've come a long way. Like I'm well on my way to being a boundary boss. And I realized, gosh, there's, there's work that I could still do. And what I love is at some point towards the end of the book, Terry talks about like, this is an ongoing thing. Like it's not like a check the box. Yep. I'm done. Like this is an ongoing journey to renegotiate, reestablish boundaries. You're going to take one step forward and three steps back. Um, and, and just know that it's so completely human. Um, and, and I think when we think about our whole relationship with boundaries, you know, we might have been socialized to believe that having healthy boundaries makes you selfish uh, or makes you confrontational or makes you bitchy or makes you hard to work with or whatever it might be. But the reality is that having healthy boundaries makes you brave and, and generous and I think about the work I do with, you know, the Dare to Lead curriculum and all the Brene Brown's work around courage and courage building skills. And earlier in the year, we were on a webinar talking through some curriculum updates, and I was writing notes from it because we were talking about this whole idea of tending to ourselves and and this whole idea that you're, you're being selfish if you say, you know, no, sorry, I need to get my workout first or sorry, nope, I'm going to do this first. And the reality is when we get clear about what we need to make ourselves whole, that's not selfish. I will tell you that COVID has been a huge reset for me in terms of what I need for sleep and recommitting to my workouts and recommitting to time with my family and even recommitting to time to reading books, etc. And I find that I show up so much better for my clients and for the communities we serve when I'm whole. And I think that me not doing that is is actually very selfish because I can't show up as the best version of me and have the impact when I'm depleted. And every time we choose to take care of ourselves, it builds self-trust. And self-trust is an absolute prerequisite to relational trust. If I can't keep my boundaries with myself, if I can't keep trust with myself, how can I expect to keep trust with other people? So it just really got me thinking about this whole idea of what have we been conditioned to believe about boundaries? And when I am working with, with people who have this narrative of, oh my gosh, if I set healthy boundaries or if I say no to people, they won't respect me. Like they can't coexist or I'll disappoint them and then they won't like me or they won't respect me. And what I started realizing is the more that I set healthy boundaries, I get people that say, oh, good for you. Or yeah, I, or I wish I could do that. So I just really encourage you to, to, look at the stuff in her book and really think about kind of what is your boundary blueprint? What are those narratives? What is that condition you got in childhood? Because we've got to pay attention to that so that we don't bring that into adulthood, even though we, we all do it, but recognizing it and being able to have some strategies to overcome it, which I'll get to in a minute because she also talks about those in this book. Again, there's a lot of good stuff in this book. I'm not going to go through everything, but another aspect that really struck me is a new term that Terry coined. She calls high-functioning codependent, or HFC. And I, I just love that. 
She defines it as feeling overly responsible for the feelings and actions of certain people in your life. She says it can manifest as overfunctioning, overgiving, and automatically offering advice as an attempt to control the outcomes. I was thinking, thinking about this and going, oh, holy moly, I know a lot of people who are high-functioning codependents, and I will say that I, at many times in my life, can show up as a high-functioning codependent, particularly as the over-functioning, over-giving. Um, I'm like, yep, yeah, there we go. <laughs> uh, and she says, this hyper-focus on the lives of others dictates that your personal needs and desires get sidelined. So for one reason or another, many high-functioning codependents learned early in their lives that in order to receive love or nurturing or approval, they needed to do more than just be a kid. So again, I, this was me. I think that for whatever reason, I created a narrative or learned that just being a kid or messing up or whatever wasn't good enough, that you had to go above and beyond to get recognition or to get praise or to get love or to get attention, right? You start to create this narrative and it, um, but this high function codependency shows up all over the place. And she also talks about a bunch of sets of behaviors that show up. So you can kind of look at, oh, does, does this resonate with me? And one set of behaviors that she talks about, which is so aligned with Brene Brown's work as well, is perfectionism. And really looking at, you know, are you super critical of yourself and other people? I think I'm better about other people, but still deal with self-criticism, right? And being kinder and gentler to myself. Uh, workaholism is, is a huge one. Um, stress to impress that your achievements, she talks about, you know, and I see this a lot of, particularly with the surgeons that I coach, but that, you know, you learned at an early age that, you know, um, overachieving and those accomplishments would get positive feedback. Um, but then that kind of gets middled with the, the, the fear of failure. And so you just kind of keep going, going more, 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 more. Um, also, uh, she talks about death of mediocrity that, you know, everything has to be perfect, that good enough isn't okay. A lot of all or nothing thinking shows up in perfectionism. Um, um, shame and guilt over mistakes shows up in perfectionism. So there's a lot that really, uh, goes into it. But what, one of the things that she was saying is that going back to childhood, she said that, um, childhood experiences of growing up, for example, in either an unpredictable um, or authoritarian or chaotic environment where the our childhood magical thinking is that, oh, if I'm perfect enough, I can stop bad things from happening um, and really avoid criticism, rejection, or worse. And so this becomes this unconscious strategy that drives us, right? If I'm just perfect enough, then I can prevent this stuff, avoid this stuff. And we put like the weight of the world, if you will, on our shoulders. So I would say as an ongoing, uh, ongoing recovering perfectionist, like this is something that I just pay attention to all the time. And I feel like I've done a lot of work, but it's such a great reminder to know when those things um, pop up. And then another thing that, again, I'm just thinking of the commonalities that I see on a daily basis, so I'm hoping some of these resonate for you, is that as human beings, we are hardwired to avoid rejection. And our survival mechanism kicks into either fight, flight, or freeze when we face a perceived threat of some sort. It is our body's built-in protection system that feels like it's helping us, but it also clouds our perception and clouds our good judgment. 
Um, and so one of the things that can be super helpful here is tapping into what Terry calls our body wisdom. And I just love how she puts that. She says that it can become our secret weapon, if you will, to shift from dysfunctional boundary patterns to healthier ones. So what, she, what we mean by that is like what's happening like when you are finding yourself where your boundaries are not being honored or they're being tested or you're being pushed out of the healthy boundaries. Like, do you get a knot in your stomach or do you start feeling a tightness in your chest or an anxious jitteriness or a pain in your throat or throbbing head? You know, there are physical symptoms. There's a great exercise that we do in the dare to Re- dare to lead curriculum that um, around shame resilience. And it's really looking at the physiology of shame. Like how does shame show up in your body? You know, like, is it uh, tunnel vision ringing in the ears? Like there's a physiological response when we're having this kind of emotional hijackness. And that can be our best friend and that our guide to help tell us, hmm, something's going on here and I need to pay attention. And so they, they're also kind of pointing us like, hey, something else is possible. Something's happening here. So here's the reality that I was thinking about and struck with in reading this and just thinking about the connections to the work I do and the people I interact with every day. There's no shortcuts to anywhere worth going. And we know that transformation doesn't happen inside of our comfort zone. We say we have to wait in the messy middle in the work we do. At the same time, it's human to avoid the discomfort that personal transformation can provoke. So one of the things that Terry talks about in her book is that we have to be aware of what she calls the secondary gains. Secondary gains are how we benefit by self-sabotaging resistance. So as an example, what do you get to not have to feel, face, or experience by being stuck in your current pattern? So let's say you have a coworker or a boss or maybe a spouse, right, that you're frustrated by their behavior or they're not honoring your boundaries or whatever it might be. Well, a secondary gain is, well, you don't have to face the difficult conversation or you don't have to face the potential rejection or you don't have to deal with their potential emotional reaction um, or whatever it might be um, if you maintain the status quo and don't say anything. And I see this a lot with people who don't want to speak up. Um, And so we've got to be aware of those secondary gains and really realize whether they are um, helping us or not. And as we think about healthy boundaries, one of the things that Terry also talks about in this book is that we have to make a distinction between what she calls higher and lower priority people. And she says, you know, it might sound cold, but not everybody can you can't relate to everybody like they're the highest priority. Um, in the Dare to Lead work, we talk about, we use this arena metaphor and talk about the different seats in the arena and that, you know, like we're not going to pay attention to the people up in the cheap seats, right? Like not everybody's opinion matters. Um, and so, you know, she invites you to look at, you know, does spending time with someone energize you or deplete you? If you find yourself being drained around somebody, there's an opportunity to maybe set some stronger boundaries there? Um, Do you look forward to being with a person or secretly kind of dread it? Um, You know, what relationships feel like an obligation for you more than a choice? And so really, as you think about the answers to these questions, they really are what inform the amount of access uh, you permit uh, to you, to your life, et cetera. If it's someone who drains you, if it's someone who, you know, feels like an obligation, why are you giving them a lot of energy? I I will say that, you know, I, I have 
I have a family member that I haven't talked to in years because that person brought out the worst in me. And because anytime I was around that person, I would have stress for days and it was just, it, it wasn't good. And really looking at, there was all this narrative of should, 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 because they're related to you until I got clear that family is who you choose. Um, it's not necessarily who you're related to and caring enough about yourself and loving yourself enough to say how people get to treat you and what you're going to honor and what you're going to um, respect. And it's not that it's not easy or, you know, coworkers or friendship. And she gives so many great stories and examples in here. And I was seeing myself and remembering, oh, when I finally set boundaries with that overly dramatic coworker, how much better my days were, et cetera. So just such, such good stuff. Uh, and so with that, one of the things that she talks about that I think is something you could all use right now, whether you read the book or not, is when it comes to boundary setting, she talks about a three-step process, recognize, release, and respond. So if you think about becoming a boundary boss, recognize, release, and respond. Recognize what is not working for you. And this is where your body wisdom comes into play. How do you feel in your body? This can prompt us to get curious about our experience. And, and just by doing that, it interrupts our normal way of operating which can create a space for something better. So we have to start paying attention to ourselves, pay attention to those cues that are trying to tell us something, recognize that there might be a boundary issue at play. And then once we do, we release. This is, this is about courage, being brave, stepping out of our comfort zone. Usually it can be as simple as pause, take some deep breaths, and maybe even have some mantras that you can tell yourself that overrun a past self-limiting belief like, I deserve better here, or it's okay, I can have this conversation, or five-year-old self, you don't get to take over here, or whatever it is that allows you to let go of some of that stuff and really um, just let go, right? Like it doesn't have to hijack you here. And then you can respond. Choose to speak and act from a more mindful and conscious place. So one, we have to recognize that there's a potential boundary issue at play by paying attention to the signs, both in our body as well as what we're telling ourselves. We've got to release and let some of it go, right? Let go of that tension, let go of that fight, flight, freeze response, right? Kind of get to a more calm, centered place, and then we can respond. And she gives you all kinds of great conversation starters and things for like every situation known uh, possible. It's, it's really, really helpful. And then she also talks about ways to deal with what she calls boundary first timers. Some of these might be people you've actually never had a conversation with that have, um, uh, are stepping on your boundaries and they don't know what your boundaries are and how you have that conversation versus what she calls repeat offenders, where you've repeatedly now had conversations and they keep happening. So she, she distinguishes between those two and gives you tips. And then she talks about uh, boundary bombs. I love her language. Boundary bombs are, are forms of our own self-sabotage that derail our best efforts of creating, maintaining, and enforcing healthy boundaries. So like I said, you know, there were some aspects of this book that I was reading that I'm like, oh, that doesn't apply to me. But as I was reading, I'm like, oh, I know someone that that is exactly. And it was giving me a, actually a different appreciation of their situation. It gave me some nuggets of, for some of the people that I work with and coach, obviously I've now recommended it to some coaching clients. So I just highly, highly recommend. There's just such great stuff in here. And if nothing else, hopefully you got some nuggets from this podcast. So I want to wrap up with, uh, she actually starts the book off with this, but what she calls her boundary boss bill of rights. And I just think this is so phenomenal. 
You have the right to say no or yes to others without feeling guilty. You have the right to make mistakes, to course correct, or to change your mind. You have the right to negotiate for your preferences, desires, and needs. You have the right to express and honor all of your feelings if you so choose. You have the right to voice your opinion even if others disagree. You have the right to be treated with respect, consideration, and care. You have the right to determine who has the privilege of being in your life. You have the right to communicate your boundaries, limits, and deal breakers. You have the right to prioritize your self-care without feeling selfish. And you have the right to talk true, be seen, and live free. I just love that. I want to have that printed out on my wall. I just think that that's just so empowering. And so I'm going to put some questions to ponder in the show notes. But some of the things that I was thinking about as I was reading this, and I encourage you to think about as you either read the book or reflect on this podcast, how skilled are you at your own body wisdom? You know, are you actually paying attention and what do you need to start paying more attention to and what your body is telling you? And then are there specific types of people or relationships in your life where you find yourself more challenged with boundaries than others? And then as you think about that boundary boss bill of rights, what could your life be like? What would it feel like? How empowered would would you be? if you took the steps to become a boundary boss. So I am so glad that this book was recommended to me and I invite you to be on the journey with Terry and her clients and myself to become a boundary boss. It's a huge part of showing up as a courageous leader in your life and the world demands braver leaders and courageous cultures. I would love to hear what resonated for you from this book, what you're putting into practice and what you're learning from it. So the next book we're going to do in our next episode is Think Again by Adam Grant. It came out a little while ago, but it's so relevant. So if you want to start pre-reading it and you can hear my thoughts as we go along, otherwise we will be back with that in two weeks. Thank you so much for listening to Show Up as a Leader. If you haven't yet subscribed, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. I'm Rosie Ward, and you can find me online at drrosieward.com, where you'll be able to sign up for my newsletter, check out the books I'm reading, and hear from the people I'm talking to. You can also get more information on what I'm up to professionally, including my coaching and speaking services. You can also find me on LinkedIn at rward, Facebook and Instagram at drrosieward, or email me at rosie at drrosieward.com. And I just want to remind you to remember that you have the choice every day to show up as a leader. So choose courage over comfort, embrace your humanity, and never, ever dull your sparkle. Take care, everyone.